The following broadcast is brought to you by Sons of God International and Freedom Fellowship Church. Hello, thank you for tuning in. This is Joshua Sasso with Freedom Fellowship Church and Sons of God Ministries International, and you are listening to the prophetic voice of our time. And I hope you're excited for what we have in store for you this week. It's going to be a little bit different, but before we begin, I just want to remind you that We are supported by listeners just like you, so if God is leading you to support this ministry, or even if you just enjoy listening to us every single week, well, you can support us by going to SOGMI.org and hitting that donate button. Again, that is SOGMI.org. Now, as many of you know, Pastor Chris has now finished up her mission in the Philippines, and it's very exciting because you're going to be hearing from her next week, and she's going to have a lot to share with you and a lot to tell, so you can look forward to that. However, for this week, I wanted to follow up on some of the things that I talked about last week. We talked a lot about women in the ministry, and I just want to devote this time here because I think it's very important, and understand I am going to follow up to what I talked about last week, and that is... Those who are led by the Spirit of God, regardless of if they are a male, whether they're a female, whether they're black or white, those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons of God, right? So if a woman is being led by the Spirit of God, she's not acting as a woman. That woman is no longer a wife. She is no longer a mother in that position. She is no longer a woman in that position. She is acting as a son of God. And this is why we have to understand that if the Holy Spirit is moving in our lives, we cannot place limitations on people because of the way they were born. And that includes skin color and that includes gender. And this is an issue that has to be addressed in the church. And I'm going to try and address it as thoroughly as I can in this 30 minutes. It's not a lot of time. But it has to be addressed in the church if we're going to be able to inhabit the land that God has prepared for us, because we need to rule and reign according to God's ways of doing things, right? And as I said last week, there is a reason why the system of the world has complete control of this narrative regarding women's empowerment, regarding women's liberty, right, regarding this feminism movement. And if many of you have been paying attention, you'll notice that much of that movement has gone so far off the fringes that they've gone to the extreme opposite end, okay? But the reason why these movements gain so much traction in the world is because these issues surrounding the way we talk about, the way we treat women in the church— have never been addressed, and I'm going to try and address them as best as I can. Now, as Christians, we're followers of Christ, first and foremost. We follow in Christ Jesus' example, and we try to emulate Christ as much as we can. Now, we know Christ Jesus did not place limitations on women. We know that Christ Jesus even took female disciples. And this was at a time that women didn't have nearly any of the rights that we have now. We know that Jesus discipled Mary Magdalene, who was a former prostitute, by the way. And we know that the first to discover the resurrection of Christ Jesus were women, okay? This is telling us a lot of things because 
The implication of discipleship, when you take on a disciple, you are training them to be like yourself, okay? It's like any mentorship. Somebody goes into mentorship to become like their master. And the narrative that goes with that is that those who go under discipleship will eventually be able to reach the same level as the one who is their master. In the law, in the Levitical priesthood, the Levites never took women disciples, right? The women had to be relegated to the home because by taking women disciples, they would be saying that the women can become Levites, priests, teachers of the law, which was not the case. However, Jesus took female disciples. And in doing so, he was explicitly saying, these women can reach the same status that I have. Okay, so this is one example. And there are many examples throughout the scriptures where women transcend the expected cultural norm, even the expected norms that were explicitly stated by the law. Okay, and remember, we're not living under the law now. We are living under grace through Christ Jesus. We know in Judges chapter 4, Deborah was judge over all of Israel. And now I want you to notice in this story that Deborah, when she is judging the people of Israel, she is not consulting her husband. She's not saying, oh, Lapidoff, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? No. As a prophetess, she is getting her instructions directly from God and relaying them to the children of Israel, right? And when she goes home, she might go back to being a wife to her husband. But when she is operating as a judge over Israel, she is not limited by that role. And understand, God does not seek to limit his people, okay? And so this doctrine, well, women can't be in authority, is already contradicted in these two places where we see Jesus took on female disciples showing that they could reach the same status that he had. And then in the case of Deborah, she was a judge over all of Israel. There is a woman who has authority over a man, right? Because as a prophet of the Most High God, she is speaking a message straight from heaven. This is why when we're led by the Spirit of God, we're not limited by our own bodies. We're not limited by cultural expectations. We're not limited by the expectations of others, okay? When God gives us a task to do, he will always make sure that we are able to rise to the occasion. So in this case, Deborah was led by the Spirit of God, and as a result, she was not limited by being a woman. Now, I know what many of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, what about 1 Timothy chapter 2? A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. And I want to read through this scripture, and we're going to break it down piece by piece in its scriptural and historical context, okay? Because when we look at this scripture in its full context, I think you'll find that it tells a very different story. And it's not that women are second-class citizens. It's not that women are never allowed to have authority over a man. Okay. So let's read through this scripture. This is 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting with verse 11. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. 
I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Now, I want to go through this piece by piece, okay? Who's writing this book, first of all? First Timothy is written by the Apostle Paul to one of his ministers, Timothy, who is in Ephesus, okay? In verse 12, he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Now, who is the I in this case? The I is Paul, right? This whole passage is written in first person towards Timothy, right? The very beginning of the chapter, he says, I urge you then, first of all, the petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, right? This is a standard introduction in a letter that is being written from one person to another. So in this scripture, who's the one who is forbidding women to assume authority over a man? Is it God or is it the Apostle Paul to Timothy? Now, why would the Apostle Paul forbid women to assume authority over a man? Now, I want to give a quick counterpoint here. So in this instance, Paul is forbidding women from having authority over a man. Now, Romans chapter 16, starting with verse 1, Paul writes to the Roman church, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Senecre. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a benefactor of many people, including myself. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Notice here, Paul has listed two women that he held in high regard. One, Phoebe, who was a benefactor of himself, meaning that she funded people, provided money for people, and she was a deacon serving in the church. And he went even further to say that you are to give her any help she may need from you. Okay? So Paul is holding this woman in high regard, and he's instructing both men and women of the church alike, to help her in whatever she may need. So in this case, would that not mean that Phoebe would have some authority over a man? And if she were to say something, people would obviously listen to her with some semblance of authority because Paul himself said to. In the same way, Priscilla, Paul describes her as well as Aquila, as a co-worker in Christ Jesus. She is not subservient to Paul. She is not under Paul, but is an equal partner as a co-worker in Christ Jesus. So these two scriptures then that I've given seem to contradict the one in 1 Timothy, do they not? In 1 Timothy, he says, I forbid 
Women to teach or have authority over a man. This is what he wrote to the Ephesian church. However, to the Roman church, he was telling them to accept these women as his own co-workers with authority in Christ Jesus. So why is it that Paul, for these two different churches, has two very different attitudes about the way they need to handle women? Makes you think, doesn't it? (laughs) So what I want to show you then is what was going on in the Ephesian church at the time that would cause Paul to have a more stringent and strict stance regarding women in the Ephesian church. And it all begins in Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19, Paul went to Ephesus. He performed many miracles. He performed many signs and wonders and cast out many demons. And many of those in Ephesus began to believe and began to be converted. And many of those who became converted used to practice sorcery, used to practice witchcraft. And this is in Acts chapter 19, starting with verse 17. It says, When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done, and a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the total value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Later on in this chapter, Paul leaves, and he leaves behind Timothy. Okay, And he says to Timothy, basically, to continue ministering in the area. Now, after Paul leaves, what happens? Verse 23, About that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers in related trades and said, You know, my friends, that we received a good income from this business, and you hear and you see how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray a large number of people here in Ephesus, and in practicality, the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is a danger not only in our trade, which will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in uproar. So what has happened here? Paul converted a lot of those who previously worshipped the goddess Artemis and previously practiced witchcraft, and those who sold the scrolls, those who sold the relics, instigated a riot, okay? Now, the goddess Artemis is very important. Now, the goddess Artemis was known by a couple names because there is the Greek goddess Artemis, okay? And then there is the Ephesian Artemis. And what happened is that when Ephesus came under Roman rule, the Romans and those in the area began to conflate the Greek Artemis and the Ephesian Artemis. And many of the Romans began to call Artemis Diana even, which is what they called the Greek goddess Artemis. Okay, but this is very significant because Ephesus was one of the main strongholds 
for the cult of Artemis, also known as the cult of Diana. Okay, They had the Temple of Artemis in that city, and the cult of Artemis remained at odds with the Christians there for hundreds of years. In fact, the temple remained there until 401 AD, after which the whole city had converted to Christianity, and it was destroyed by St. John Chrysostom. So the reason why I bring this up is because there is a certain belief system here in place that's a stronghold here in Ephesus that Paul specifically has to address. And this is evident in the beginning passages of 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. He says, I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrine any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is faith. Notice, Paul is specifically addressing false doctrines and beliefs in mythologies, false gods. Why? Because the cult of Artemis has a stronghold here in Ephesus as one of their most important temples are here in that city. So, in order to further understand the situation that's going on here, we have to understand, well, what did the cult of Artemis believe? Okay, and it was also referred to by the Romans as the goddess Diana, okay? And I'm just going to include some notes about this cult, okay? Now, Artemis of Ephesus, also known as Diana, the goddess of fertility, dominated the city of Ephesus. Priestesses led her worship. They had saving knowledge, and they revealed it only to those who submitted to them. Okay, and this is important. So the priestesses only revealed the hidden knowledge to those that would submit to them. Men who were to serve in the temple were ritually castrated and kept in subjugation. In the temple, worshippers would lay fine clothing, jewelry, and costly gifts at the statue of Artemis. They would ask for blessing upon their crops, livestock, and family. In particular, women would pray for help through conception, pregnancy, delivery, and menstrual problems. It appears that Artemis worship was infiltrating the Christian church, and I'm going to get into this, okay? Now, many of those, as I said, who practiced worshiping this goddess, Artemis, also known as Diana, began to mix in elements of their old doctrines into Christianity. Some simple examples of this is that they would take the creation account with Adam and Eve and begin to exalt Eve above Adam like women in the cult of Artemis were exalted above men. For example, these people would often depicted Eve or the feminine spiritual power she represented as the source of spiritual awakening. Eve as spirit was frequently seen as bringing life when united with Adam's soul. There are several of these accounts in old writings that give Eve primacy over Adam. Moreover, Eve was a heroine to these people because she desired knowledge in seeking after the knowledge of good and evil. So, with this historical context, we can better understand why the very opening passage of Timothy addresses false doctrines, beliefs, and myths. Why? Because there is conflation happening between the old myths and the Christian faith. 
In the same way, many of these women who would be converted from the cult of Diana would continue living according to their old habits. So now, when we look back at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Now, I want to break this down even further because you can already see how it's beginning to make sense. If he's writing to the church in Ephesus, they have a problem with a cult worshiping a goddess that exalts women over men. Paul, as a result, is using his spiritual authority since he discipled Timothy, and he is forbidding women to take authority over a man to address this specific issue. Does that make sense? But I'm going to go even further, okay? Now, this word, to have authority, in the Greek text is the word aquintian, and I'm not a Greek expert, so I probably horribly mispronounced that. However, this word is better translated to mean to impose one's will on another, to inundate or overpower, to govern in a manner that uses corrupt power for selfish interests. Now, when you look at those original words, you can understand why Paul would forbid women to teach and dominate or impose their will upon men. Because recall, in the cult of Diana, women dominated men and subjugated men. The cult was sexist, not teaching equality of access to God, but rather the women had a special privilege to receive instructions from the goddess. It was this type of sexist teaching and behavior that converts from the cult of Diana were to refrain from. And this is why these women had to learn in submission and in quietness, just as the men were required to do the same. So now I'm going to read through this entire passage in Timothy, now that we have this new context, and hopefully this helps you all understand this scripture a little bit better, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 2, and I'm going to start with verse 8. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands, without anger or disputing. I also want women to dress modestly, with decency and propriety adorning themselves not with the elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or or expensive clothings, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. See, what is Paul addressing here? The way that the women in the cult of Diana would dress. So, he's saying, dress decently, do not be as those who believe these occultic practices, right? Verse 11, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. And as I explained earlier, right, Paul is forbidding the women to teach and to dominate or impose their will upon men. He continues, she must be quiet. And then in the next scripture, he says, for Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. And what is Paul addressing here? As I said before, many of those who converted had a distorted perception of the Genesis account that exalted Eve above Adam. So in this, you see that Paul is nipping that very ideology right in the butt, stopping it right there. 
Paul continues, but women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. And remember here, the women under the cult of Diana, they would pray to the goddess to protect them during conception and childbearing, right? So in this, he's showing that the women who believe in Christ Jesus do not need to rely on the goddess Diana but rather if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety, serving the Lord Jesus Christ, then they will be saved through their childbearing. See, because he's not talking about salvation, right? Because we know the only way to be saved is through Christ Jesus, right? So is Paul committing a heresy here, saying that, well, women could be saved through childbearing? Or is he addressing a specific issue in the Ephesian church? But that's all the time that I have for today. So as I said before, you can see Paul forbid women from teaching or having authority over a man in Ephesus. But to the Roman church, he told them to take these women just as they would take him. So was Paul delivering an absolute truth about the body of Christ? Or was he, as an apostle who was planting churches, was he giving instructions to the leaders and churches over specific issues that they were dealing with. I guess it's up to you to decide how you take that, but I really hope and pray that you receive this word with an open heart because this is one of those issues that has to be addressed if we are going to move forward as a church. If we are truly going to reach the heights that God has for us, then we have to address this issue and lay it to rest So I encourage you this week, be led by the Spirit of God. Walk in that authority. Walk according to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And if we are led by the Spirit of God, then it is truly, as Galatians says, there is neither male nor female, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. But that is all for today. And again, if you enjoy this ministry, this radio show, then I encourage you you can support us at SOGMI.org slash donate. Again, that is SOGMI.org slash donate. But I am completely out of time for this week. Until next time, God bless you.